Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Mark chapter 14, verses 60 to 64, and chapter 15, verses 2 to 15. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. When my family moved to Kiev, Ukraine to serve as missionaries in the spring of 2012, we immediately started to study the Russian language. We hired a tutor named Olga, who came to our home three times a week for two hours each week. Olga gave us homework every day. We would practice with each other, with strangers on the streets of Kyiv, and in church activities. Our goal, of course, was to be able to have good conversations with the people we were called to serve. But we did have smaller goals at first, really important goals like ordering lunch at McDonald's. The lines were always very long at McDonald's. People were in a hurry and everyone was very close to each other as they waited for their turn in line. It was a little hard to hear when you reached the cashier and you knew there were 10 people behind you. Let me just say, there was a lot of pressure. I remember the first time I tried to order for my family. I had rehearsed my lines and knew my order in Russian by heart. I waited for my turn and I was prayed up. When I reached the cashier, I began my order. I didn't wait for any recognition that she understood me. And the last thing I wanted was for her to ask me any questions. I proudly finished my order and waited to hear an amount that I owed. Unfortunately, the questions started to come. What would you like on your chicken sandwich? What kind of fries do you want? Do you want any sauces? Do you want to eat in or take your order to go? Of course, I had no idea what she asked me or how to answer her questions for that matter. I was surprised by the number of decisions you have to make just to order at McDonald's. Life is full of decisions, you know. We make them every day, all throughout the day. Some decisions are inconsequential. Some decisions, however, make a difference for our entire lives, and some even affect our eternities. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, we must understand that there's a decision before each of us. Will we receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord and follow him in all things, or will we reject Jesus? There's no neutral ground, no gray. Our passage for this week takes place on the morning of Jesus' crucifixion. That morning, there were many people making decisions about Jesus. Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Waiting for Jesus were members of the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish council. The Sanhedrin consisted of the high priest, any former high priests, members of the high priest's family, and elders and scribes. 
The total membership of the Sanhedrin numbered 71. The Sanhedrin had authority to make arrests, and it could judge cases that did not involve capital punishment. However, Mark 14, verse 55, had already revealed that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Jesus stood before them now and heard accusations from witnesses about what he had said about the temple. While their testimonies about Jesus did not make sense, Caiaphas took charge and began to question Jesus for himself. And so with that background, let's look at Mark chapter 14, verses 60 to 64. When the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you going, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, mad, of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? The questioning of Jesus by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin was a preliminary hearing rather than a formal trial. The hearing run by the Jewish leaders was actually about the claim that Jesus was the son of God, not any illegal behavior by Jesus. The Roman authorities were not interested in such religious arguments and they did not give the Sanhedrin power to impose the death penalty, even though that was what they were asking for in this case against Jesus. As Caiaphas began interrogating Jesus, Jesus didn't answer the accusations made against him. Jesus' silence here is sometimes difficult to understand. Perhaps he didn't want to dignify their false accusations by even giving a reply. Perhaps he felt that any reply would be futile because his accusers were already determined to put him to death. Jesus' silence did, however, fulfill scripture. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Caiaphas moved right to the heart of the matter in Mark chapter 14 verse 61 when he asked about Jesus' identity. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Messiah is a Hebrew term, meaning the anointed one. The second title, the son of the blessed one, was also a title for the expected Messiah. Blessed one was used as an alternative name for God. You might remember that Jewish religious leaders tried to avoid using God's name because it was considered to be too holy. When the high priest directly asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, Jesus ended his silence with the clear affirmation, I am. 
earlier in his ministry, Jesus kept his messiahship a secret because most people would have misinterpreted it as a rebellion against Rome to restore David's throne. Now, with Jesus' death just hours away, it was clear that Jesus was the suffering Messiah and not an armed revolutionary. To Jesus' admission of being the Messiah, he added the words, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Mark chapter 14, verse 62. This statement of Jesus combines Psalm 110, verse 1, and Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. Psalm 110, verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Daniel 7 speaks of a vision Daniel had. Verses 13 and 14 say, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus' words prophesied a coming time when the roles would be reversed so that those who were now judging him would be judged by him. For Caiaphas, this was the last straw. The high priest cried, blasphemy. For Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Sanhedrin condemned him to death. The problem was that the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin could not carry out the judgment of execution. For that, they needed Rome. But Rome was uninterested in Jewish religious titles and laws. So the Jewish leaders, religious leaders changed the charges from religious names like Messiah to political ones like King. That was an easy leap for the religious scholars since they believed that the Messiah would sit on David's throne and would come to remove Rome. The title of king, however, would catch the attention of Rome. As we jump forward to Mark chapter 15, Jesus was bound by the religious leaders in Caiaphas's house, led away and handed over to Pilate. Pontius Pilate had been appointed in AD 26 as a Roman prefect under the reign of Tiberius Caesar in the area of Judea. As prefect, Pilate was responsible for law and order. He would normally reside in Caesarea Maritima on the Mediterranean coast. Pilate would make the journey from Caesarea Maritima to Jerusalem during the times like the Passover festival to avoid unrest and to settle local cases. Little did Pilate know that he would soon oversee the most famous criminal case in the history of the world. Let's pick up Pilate's conversation with Jesus in Mark chapter 15, verses 2 to 15. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. 
The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed him over to Jesus, had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify them, crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Pilate asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Pilate's first question to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? No doubt stemmed from the Sanhedrin's report to Pilate. The question was serious because the Romans viewed any claim to kingship as a crime against the sovereign authority of Rome. At the same time, the question was quite pathetic since the Jews themselves were the ones who had rejected and condemned Jesus. He certainly, in this current situation, wasn't going to be able to develop a human uprising that would in any way challenge Rome. Jesus answered Pilate's Pilate with a simple but somewhat vague statement. You have said so. Mark chapter 15, verse 2. A modern translation might be, those are your words, or whatever you say. Jesus had never made open declarations that he was the king of the Jews, but he often spoke about the kingdom of God with the implicit understanding that he himself had a crucial role in it. Pilate kept pressing Jesus for an answer, but Jesus did not respond. In fact, in Mark's gospel, Jesus did not speak again until he was on the cross. Jesus had stood trial before the high priest and the Sanhedrin. He had stood trial before Pontius Pilate. Now Jesus would go before the crowd. During the festival, it was customary for the Roman prefect to release one prisoner to the people as a gesture of goodwill toward the Jewish people. Undoubtedly, Pilate viewed the prisoner release as the perfect opportunity to defuse the situation gain the favor of the crowd, and release Jesus, who was obviously innocent of any wrongdoing. Pilate was convinced, according to Mark 15, verse 10, that Jesus was not guilty of political rebellion, knowing it was out of their self-interest or jealousy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. The irony at this point in the story is noteworthy. First, Jesus was falsely accused as a rebel who was vying for Jewish kingship. Barnabas was a renowned 
political revolutionary who was guilty of murder in his attempts to challenge and overthrow the Roman authority. Barabbas, not Jesus, would be released. Second, the chief priest accused and condemned Jesus for claiming that he was the son of God the Father. The people sought the release of Barabbas, whose name literally means a son of a father. Third, the crowd was quick to condemn the innocent Jesus for crimes he never committed. The crowd was equally quick to exonerate the guilty Barabbas for crimes that he had assuredly committed. The chief priest stood up the, stirred up the crowd to demand Barabbas's release while also demanding Jesus' death. With the crowd growing louder and the threat of riot rising, Pilate asked the crowd in Mark 15, 12, what shall I do then with the one you call King of the Jews? It is possible that Pilate's words here were used as a test to the crowd to see what they thought of the title for King Jesus. The crowd had already decided. They wanted nothing of Jesus and shouted, crucify him twice in verses 13 and 14. In our passage for today, Pilate was a terrible example of a just and courageous leader. The words of Mark 15, 15 jump off the page to the reader. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. We are warned time and again in scripture to not fear people, but instead to fear God. Today, on so many fronts, disciples of Jesus seem more concerned about what the crowd says than about what God says. Which way is the wind blowing in the cultural issue of the day? Seems to be the common thought. Christians become more like politicians than radical followers of a courageous God. Surveys become more important than biblical truths. Let me just say that it's clear, as clear as I can, whenever a professing believer wants to please humanity over God, we see how possible it is to put Jesus on the cross. Convinced of the crowd's sentiments, Pilate released Barabbas and had him flogged and handed over to Roman soldiers to be crucified. Amazingly, this man Barabbas becomes for us an ironic example of what Jesus came to do. Barabbas was guilty of sin and death awaited him. Jesus was innocent but paid the cost for Barabbas to be set free. It is very possible that the cross Jesus died on was actually intended to hold Barabbas. Before we place too much historical blame on Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Barabbas, and the crowd, let me remind us that we, have, we all have a decision to make this Easter season. What will we do with the one they call the Christ? Will we receive him, believe on his name, and follow him wherever he takes us? Or will we join the masses by rejecting Jesus, choosing the whims of the crowd, and turning away from the only one who can save us? Would, would you be willing today to pray this prayer with me? Jesus, thank you for going all the way to the cross for me. 
I receive you and your gift of life. With your help, I turn from my sin and from the crowd. I will follow you wherever you go. I am yours and yours alone. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.